and welcome everyone to the first, and you know, maybe only, depending on how this actually goes, um, episode of Obsessed and So Obscure, a Matt Berry music podcast. And uh, the name is actually appropriate due to our level of obsession and also how obscure this is going to be. Yeah, it's going to be pretty obscure. Um, maybe a total of five listeners if we're lucky. What do you think? <laughs> If we're lucky, we're yeah. two, and, two of them are two our husbands. Three of them so, being yeah. our husbands, exactly. <laughs> it's also yeah. obscure because um, we are based in the United States and Canada. Two of us are in the U.S. Courtney and I um, are in the U.S. and Tara is in Canada. And mm-hmm. it's not like you can just walk into any record store and be like, "Hey, I want to buy a Matt Berry record," because they just don't know who he is here at all. So everything mm-hmm. that we order is either from uh, Acid Jazz directly in the UK or third parties, usually in the UK, which means seeking out and a lot of shipping costs because shipping yeah. to the United States and Canada is a bitch. So it's it's more than the record every time, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yes, usually yeah. the shipping costs more than the actual item you're purchasing so that's always fun so it takes some effort so should we introduce ourselves yeah that seems like something we should probably do okay shoot i'll go i'll go first why not uh my name is tara and uh i have been listening to matt berry okay so first it started off where my husband and i we really like obscure ha 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 (laughs) uh comedies (laughs) and especially like british comedies so we used to watch the IT crowd and I think, you know, we watched probably three or four times and we were watching Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and One Track Lover got stuck in my head and I ended up YouTubing it and listened to it like, you know, three or four times as, you know, you do. And as I walked away from the computer for a while or something, it started auto-playing something from Opium and i'm pretty sure it was hot dog um which is still one of my (laughs) favorite songs from him just because of the nostalgia and it was just like what like he actually is like a real musician um and i immediately (laughs) it was back in like i want to say 2009 so i got on the YouTube to MP3 converter website (laughs) and downloaded the entirety of Opium. And I had it like on my phone like that. Like this was before Spotify, you know, maybe it wasn't actually before Spotify, but it's before I knew about Spotify. Um, And I just listened to it over and over and over again. That is definitely one of the albums just out of any album in the world that I have listened to the most. I was like obsessed with it again great name for the podcast because yeah very obsessed um and it just went from there and i've been like a huge fan ever since and at the time you know i only got into vinyl i want to say four years ago i wasn't really into vinyl so unfortunately i missed like all of the releases because i've been a fan for a long time i could have caught so many of the releases as they came out but i was like vinyl like who listens to vinyl everybody now like everybody who's cool listens to vinyl okay so yeah no it's just it's been it's it's been a long time so uh i was really glad to meet you gals because it's nice to know other people who are as obsessed and i should say the way that we met there is a matt berry appreciation fan page on facebook which has over forty thousand members on it wow and tara you decided to spin off and create a matt berry music lovers fan page and courtney and i jumped right on that as soon as she created it it was may of last february of last year so um we jumped right on that and now there's like 1200 people in that group so and it's awesome because there's people from all over the world which is really really cool so, um, and it's like so focused on his music. That's the thing. Like I was really into the appreciation group and um, Joan Stevenson is, you know, she made that group and she's amazing. She's like the guru. She knows everything about Matt. And uh, she actually like at one point 
I had messaged her about something, one of her old podcasts about Matt, I think. Actually, you know what? I think I was messaging about Jackpot, which is the focus of this podcast. Um, and she was like, well, do you want me to like promote your Matt Berry's Music Lovers fan, like, you know, fan page on on my group? And I was like, yeah, go ahead. And it went from like 50 people to like what, you know, it's kind of been accumulating since then. So yeah, it's been really cool. And it's just a really great group because there's no memes. It's just literally, literally all about the music. We just talk about music and everybody is very, yeah. I think all we all have the same thought about that too. We don't want it to be just a, a general fan page. So I think it's just an understanding between all 1200 people in the group that this is about the music. If you want to talk about other stuff, go in the other group, which is fine. Yeah. That's great. I mean, Joan yeah. is like Matt Berry fan number zero. So yeah. she's like the guru. I call her the godmother of Matt Berry fandom because everything yeah. I learned. American ambassador, really. I learned from her. Right. Yeah. American ambassador. Perfect way of, of saying that. But um, so Tara, what was the first album that you bought of his officially purchased? Uh, it was, I want to say it was actually the small hours. Really? Because I, that was like right around the time that I got into vinyl and like the first thing as soon as i got like a first record player i was like what is matt berry putting out right now and i'm pretty sure it was the small hours so i got that and then immediately after that i started my search for opium which that's going nowhere i will probably never find opium and then i got uh witch hazel uh no it might have been kill the wolf actually is the first one kill the wolf yeah i have opium Anyways, oh, yeah, my first. I'm so jealous. <laughs> it's still sealed though. My first album uh, that I got was Phantom Birds because I am fairly new to Matt Berry. Um, my name is Jesse, by the way. Um, I'm fairly new to Matt Berry fandom. I've only been a fan for a couple of years. Prior to that, I didn't even know who he was. So um, I know, I know. During lockdown, or I mean, this closest thing we had to lockdown in Florida, which was nothing but you yeah. know being the responsible human that i am i stayed home and i watched netflix as everybody else on the planet was doing and i was yep. starting to run out of netflix to watch so i was like hey this looks good I, I saw the it crowd and chris o'dowd is in it and i'm like i really like chris o'dowd i you know yeah. I've, I've loved him since bridesmaids and then i've sought out other stuff that he's been in since then so i watched it and yeah my life changed in episode two of season two but i didn't know that yet so <laughs> i finished watching the it crowd really fast because it's it's so funny um yes. but i as soon as i was done watching that which was the end of 2020 uh it was december 2020 when i finished it i was sitting at my desk i was working i always have some sort of tv going in the background or music to, that day it happened to be tv and I heard a very familiar voice on an Advil commercial. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> I think yeah. that's the guy from the IT crowd. Still <laughs> did not know his name at this point. Yeah. So I said, I think that's his. I think that's the same guy. So that's Rhythm. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I went to IMDB, as I always do. It's my first source of information for anything in the entertainment business. And I was like typed in IT crowd I was like okay his name is Matt Berry and then I like looked up the Advil commercial info and I said okay same guy I'm like that's so crazy because yep. uh, that's a distinct voice and then um, probably the next day I was like I have to start watching what we do in the shadows I keep seeing commercials for it season two had already ended I really wanted to watch it turn it on what do you know Matt Berry again. <laughs> I had no idea he was in that. So I'm like, all right, well, clearly the universe is trying to tell me something. I need to look into this guy. So yeah. I went on to IMDb again. And this show is not sponsored by IMDb. I just am a big fan. Um, <laughs> IMDb, if you we want should to hit them up. Yes, if you would right. like to, yeah. IMDb, if you would like to sponsor us, please We're reach out. To talk. Yeah. We are at Obsessed Obscure on all social media platforms. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> I uh, I went back and I watched uh, Snuffbox, which was the first thing I watched. I don't even know why it was the first thing I watched. I think it was because it was probably the most readily accessible. I think I, I heard of Garth Marenghi and knew it was on YouTube, but it didn't really look like I'm not a huge sci-fi fan. And, 
you know, it looked hokey even for me. So I watched um, Snuffbox free through my local library, but I was only able to watch the first five episodes. But I knew after 20 minutes of the first episode, I'm like, okay, I'm buying this because it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, so, and that's, I think, when I first realized, you know, the intro to Snuffbox, there's music throughout the whole thing that he was musical. I didn't really know the extent of it. Um, and then... Garth Marenghi was the next thing I watched in One Track Lover, and then Toast of London. And I somehow managed to find the live version of Take My Hand, and I was, like, dead on hooked. I've been hooked ever since. The live version of Take My Hand, I probably listened to it on a loop three times Aww. three times a day for, like, six months. I, I mean, yeah. it sucked me in. It's so, so good. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. So that's my story. I started with Phantom Birds. That was the first one I bought. I have the red one. Uh, nothing else was available for sale at the time on the Acid Jazz website. Yeah. And then for... they did a big reissue mm -hmm. of everything pretty much. It was yeah. so awesome. I think that um, the television themes, I think, was still available. Because I'd listened to everything oh. on Spotify a billion times. I think television themes was still available for sale. But, you know, being an American... It's a little bit lost on me, but we'll talk totally about that lost more on me. That in yeah. a different episode. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Courtney, what was episode your gateway? Episode 10, maybe. Yeah. Courtney, what was your gateway drug? For me, it was like a decade of near misses before I really discovered Matt. Um, because I used to watch The Mighty Boosh and Garfringi's Dark Place at like three or four in the morning. No exaggeration. When I was in college, uh, Adult Swim used to have a segment called The Brit Block that they would air in the middle of the night on Friday night. So I would come home, usually in some state of inebriation, and turn on the TV. And I had these like fuzzy memories of seeing these shows, but never really <laughs> sought out more information. I don't think I ever saw the One Track Lover episode, because I think that would have done it for me. That would have done it, yeah. That was definitely a near miss. If you watched all the other stuff and you didn't see that one, that's definitely yeah. a near miss. I'm sure I would have remembered that. <laughs> Because it's it would have been in my head. <laughs> it is unforgettable. Yeah. And then a couple of years after that, I watched the IT crowd with a guy I was dating at the time. Um, relationship didn't last, but the IT crowd stuck in my head. And for whatever reason, it's all that matters. Relationships never... don't last. The IT crowd is forever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was much better for me in the long term than that relationship yeah. ever was. <laughs> But I never really, like, felt the urge to learn more about Matt. I don't know why, because I thought he was hilarious on it. I thought he was really cute. And just never never went to IMDb, never Googled him. So, and he was such, he was that guy for so long that my husband actually owned a copy of the Snuffbox DVD that predated us ever getting together. And Aww. I... At one point, went through and organized all of our DVDs and newly had it, but I never watched it because based on the DVD cover, I thought it was some sort of historical drama, and I was like, <laughs> that's not really my thing. That's so funny. We definitely have different versions <laughs> no, then, I think. <laughs> well, it's the two of them in, like, top hats and Victorian guard. Oh, yeah. That's not the same one yeah. that I have. No, no. Oh. The American reissue version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. So I was always kind of floating around Matt's orbit um, for years and never couldn't have told you who he was couldn't have told you his name and then like a lot of people we started watching what we do in the shadows over lockdown and got hooked on that um, finally looked him up finally started learning more about him my husband and I then started watching Toast of London and that was it for me that was when I really just fell in um, and I remember the moment that I wanted to learn more about Matt's music. It was that first, uh, after the pilot, the first episode of Toast of London, um, where it has the first musical sequence and um, the two actresses uh, kind of do their piece to the tune of October Sun. I didn't know that at the time. Mm. And then Matt starts singing and he has this beautiful, rich voice. And I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> wow. That's and a great episode. I'd already uh, read that he did music, and I think I'd, I just went to Spotify. I'm sure my first song was uh, Take My Hand, uh, because yeah. it was the Toast of London theme song, and I wanted to hear more of that. And from there, I was just, I was just a convert. Um, Kill the Wolf was my gateway drug, 
and the first album that I bought on vinyl too, the first Matt Berry album I bought on vinyl. Actually, Jesse was the one who twisted my arm into <laughs> buying that. The <laughs> reissue. It was the reissue. It was the reissue, oh, I yeah. should say. Yeah, the everything I own is bottle green, Bottle green vinyl. Nice. Yeah. Still, so good they did that. I was like, come on. It like, really you have is. To. It's so hard to find them. It really is. It, it, it's good. And I feel like maybe there was a whole new crop of fans that, that showed yeah. up. Um, I don't know if it was because of what we do in the shadows. Because it... You know, he's not a household name here at all. And what we do in the shadows is the only thing that we get first. You know, it has three of the UK's best comedic actors, yet we get it in the United States well before they get it. So, you know, it could be. I I mean, I I feel like there maybe is a new crop of fans, even though I I technically knew who he was before that only by a second. But um, (laughs) maybe maybe that's it. You know, it's a good gateway. So. I just have to say, I have been a fan of Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords and Taika Waititi for so many years since Flight of the Concords, the TV show came out. So I am like in love with Jermaine Clement. I think him and Brett McKenzie are just hilarious. And then when I found out that they were remaking and like doing a TV show for What We Do in the Shadows and Matt Berry was going to be in it, I cannot tell you how much I lost my mind like I just lost my mind it was the most exciting thing I could ever think of that like these two men who are just like they're both really good musicians like Flight of the Concords has good music um I just I I I couldn't handle myself so the fact that like that's what reeled you guys in I love it yeah I never saw the movie I'm gonna admit something really embarrassing which is that (laughs) I love the movie I saw it actually at a film festival um, before it even hit DVD with Jermaine Clement in attendance and Taika Waititi zooming in. And so I was like evangelical about this movie for a long time. I showed it to everyone. But when they announced the series, I was really skeptical because I was like, the movie is perfect. There's nothing that can improve on the movie. Why are they doing, (laughs) this is gonna be a cheap ripoff. I'd never heard of anyone in it. Again, not really knowing who Matt was at that point. It premiered oh, no. in Austin, where I live. I could have been in the same room as Matt. I could have breathed <laughs> the same air. Well, you were there because and you work South by Southwest sometimes, right? So I you work were South by there. Southwest, but at a different theater. Yeah. So uh, I was I was across town, unfortunately, that night. Oh my god. Yeah, I I didn't see the movie until after I started watching the series, but I know that a lot of people felt that way. The people that were huge fans of the movie were like, "Eh, I don't know how this is going to work out as a series. But and then they were slowly converted when they started watching it. So, yeah, it's um, it's good if you haven't seen it. I didn't worry. I didn't worry at all. I was like, Jemaine is friggin' hilarious and Tyka's hilarious and Matt Berry's hilarious. Like there's, I had no worries at all. I didn't even know that people were worried about this. I'm so out of the loop. No, like I just. Big fans in the movie were worried. I'm assuming that anybody that's listening to this podcast is fairly familiar with Matt Berry. We kind of jumped ahead a little bit, but I mean, (laughs) if you're not familiar with him, he is an award-winning actor comedic actor he won a BAFTA for Toast of London he won mm-hmm. what was it a, a comedy writing British award? comedy award British comedy award for I don't remember what it was for do you remember I regress a radio oh, series I that he did that is correct oh. the I regress radio series which is also available on YouTube super funny um and then he graduated from Nottingham Trent Nottingham Trent University with a contemporary arts degree in 1997. Well, it's fun, so, it's fun though, like, because the, the music and, the, you know, this is what we love most about him, really, is the music was always his passion. Yes. That was his number one passion. And, the, the you know, he worked at the Tower of London in the dungeons and he did he was the um, some London there. He was the London, London dungeon. Yeah. The London dungeon. I feel like it was the Tower it of London. It wasn't the Tower of London. London is, it was, Tower of London is a historic site. He worked at yeah, the I London dungeon. I thought it was there. No. I'm so sure it was there. <laughs> it wasn't there. It was the London dungeon. So I was in That's fair. London. Uh, the last time I was in the UK, it was 1995. I went to visit my boyfriend that I was dating in high school. He he was in the United States. I mean, he was in the UK. He, he lives there. He's 
British. We met at summer camp. So I went to visit him and his family over Christmas in 95. And we went to Madame Tussauds Wax Museum. And at the time, in the basement of the Wax Museum, there was this whole serial killer thing all. And it was amazing. So I think that that actually closed. I don't think that it became the London Dungeon, but I think it's kind of like the London Dungeon took over and uh, became kind of the same similar thing, all more immersive like tours and stuff like that so that that's what he did when he he, he did a, a bunch of temp jobs and then yeah. uh, worked at the london dungeon um and then he you know while he was um while he was working there he was also doing a side gig uh opening for the mighty boosh and for matt holness and and richard iowati at the head and chickens i think it was um yeah he was he started out doing parody songs from the perspective of a serial killer and i guess he was telling (laughs) people where the buried where the bodies were buried which i think is pretty hilarious (laughs) and then uh something about he used to wear a wig that looked exactly like his own hair and at some point he would take (laughs) off the wig and his real hair would be underneath which I, I there's no video evidence of this that I'm aware of, but just thinking about it is yeah. hilarious. I like that move. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, many questions that brings up. Like, mm-hmm. where did he acquire this wig? Did he commission this wig? I don't How know. did he afford a custom wig? Did I, they make him wear it? They were like, here's your hair. It looks exactly <laughs> like this wig. Put on the wig. I think this was all him. I think this was, okay. <laughs> I think this was his idea. So yeah, I, uh, but he, his music was his first passion. He says that he loves comedy yeah. equally, but I think we're pretty, you know, when he does interviews, when he's talking about music is when he is the most passionate yeah. and open. So absolutely. Uh, we have a series of uh, frequently asked questions. Interviewers always ask him. So let's just get always. that out of the way. Every you just want time. to kind of establish a baseline kind of level yeah. of knowledge about Matt so we can talk about yeah. his music without going back to the same points because Cause we don't we don't want to talk about this anymore. We want to talk about like anything but that. Like if we had a chance to sit Matt down, none of the questions you're about to hear would be on that interview. Yeah, we For might sure. do Matt, it if you're like, listening, we'd yes. love the chance to sit you down and yes. ask questions. Yeah. Or any p- potential interviewers out there. Please don't ask yeah. these questions anymore. If you want to ask these just questions, stop. if you want to put it in like your summary before the interview, just kind of sum it up. But everybody knows yeah. these things. Stop asking them. So just please stop. Um, yeah. For example, uh, do you see yourself as, a, as an actor or a musician first? He do you always worry that people won't take your music seriously because of your acting. He always answers in the same way that his music was his first love and then he fell into comedy and acting by accident and he says he only he says he it's it, only in the uk that you can't do more than one thing at one time which is actually not true because i was actually talking to my sister who doesn't know who matt barry is and other than from what i've told her and um she's like so is he a musician or is he an actor I'm like, he's both. Why can't he be both? So there's that. Apparently, it's not only in the UK where you can't be both things, although it's stupid. You should be. One of the other questions which he has asked frequently, both in interviews about his music and his acting, is if his songs are supposed to be funny or he purposefully injects comedy into his music. The answer that he typically gives is no. And I think that's pretty self-apparent if you actually listen to his music. But that's kind of a no with an asterisk because... If you listen to his very early music, which we'll discuss in a minute, um, he clearly did start with more of a comedic intent and comedic influence. Yeah. It was something that he really grew out of as his albums evolved. They were definitely parodies at, at the beginning. Um, I mean, just the way he started, for sure, with the Hen and Chickens. Obviously, he was doing parodies at that time. Um because that's what his audience wanted. That's what he thought they expected of him, which, you know, likely it is what he ex- they expected of him. Um, so, and then um, Jackpot, as we're going to discuss in a minute, definitely has some jokey type parody um, elements to it. And then I think Opium too. I, I think that's a maybe an unpopular opinion, but I think Opium has a few jokey in, in uh, moments in it. Uh, could be why he doesn't like it. 
but um, I think what we were talking about earlier is even as far as Witch Hazel doesn't, but, you know, there is one song in particular that we're thinking of that probably does, but we'll discuss that at a we'll later time. There. We'll get there. Um, so the answer is, no, it's not comedy music, but you feel like there's times he just can't help himself. And especially I don't think now, I don't think now there's any question that it's not comedy. It, I think um, it, it definitely, you know, from Witch Hazel on, all of his official acid jazz releases are definitely not comedy albums. They're serious. They're serious music. They're not jokey in any way, um, apart from the one song that we'll talk about in a later episode. <laughs> but they're, they're definitely serious. Um, and then, but Jackpot, and we only have a couple of things to base it on. So, uh, but it, it definitely falls under the parody heading, I think. The other thing people always ask is if his family is musical, if they had interest in music, how did he get involved in music? And no, his family wasn't musical. He didn't have a, a musical background at all. I think his he said that his parents owned like one cassette tape and it was cricketing bloopers, I think is what mm -hmm. it was. I don't think they had any actual music records, but when he started showing an interest in in music, his parents just put an organ in his room when he was a kid and left him to, on his own to, to pursue it. And that's what he did, which was really great. He, he pursued music on his own with no pressure from his parents. And I think that's a really good way to handle it. You know, he that's because he he was able to harness his passion without any outside influence. And then after teaching himself the organ, learned to play guitar and from there bass and drums, um, which he said wasn't to show off or be flashy. It was just because he didn't really know a lot of other people who were interested in playing and wanted to create his own music. So. He's completely self-taught and uh, did it all, he says, out of necessity. Yeah, necessity. And he also doesn't read music. So everything he learned, he, he plays by ear. And that's mostly the reason why he writes his own music is because he doesn't read music. So he had to kind of come up with his own stuff and and um, mess with music his, his own way because he couldn't play anybody else's music. Which is so cool. My husband's the same way. It's amazing. It's an amazing talent to be able to just do that. I played clarinet in middle school and I can read music and I played terribly. I have no musical talent whatsoever. I love music. It's a shame. <laughs> my my middle sister and my mom and my grandmother are all very musical. Um, my grandmother was an opera singer. My mom is a very gifted violin player. My younger sister plays multiple instruments. <laughs> I have no wow. musical talent whatsoever. So, yeah, that's my sad story. That's awesome, though. How did that skip you? <laughs> well, there's also, like, a visual art side of my mom's side of the family um. and my dad's side of the family. And that's more my thing, more of a visual person, uh, photography. That's cool. At least you got something artistic. I got something. And the first album he ever bought, he said, was Adam and the Ants. I guess his mom bought it for him. He liked it because... Thanks, Mom. It looks like a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> it was Adam and the Ants, Prince Charming, I Prince think, Charming, in particular, yes. where he has the face paint across his face. Right. He looks like a pirate. Right. And one of the other questions that he has asked a lot All is the his favorite time. album, most influential album. He kind of typically gives a few answers here, but the one that he really defaults to the most and that he considers his favorite album of all time is Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells. Yeah. And talks about that as the album that inspired him to learn every instrument himself uh, because that's what Mike Oldfield did as a teenager on that album. So we are hoping down the line to talk more about Matt's influences and I'm sure we'll be touching on Tubular Bells there, but yeah. And Tubular Bells, if you've never listened to it, that's the theme from The Exorcist. Everybody mm -hmm. knows the theme from The Exorcist. Nobody knows. Well, I mean, I didn't know, but other people yeah. probably do. But yeah, Mike Oldfield played every instrument on there when he was a teenager. And that's what Matt, I guess, saw the whole list of, of, of instruments that he played. He was 14 or 16 at the time. I don't know. His age varies yeah. occasionally. Around there. He was a yeah. teenager. And he said, well, 
I better get at it. If that's what he's doing at that age, I, I better get at it and, and start. And that's what he did. Yeah. And I actually, um, I was reading an interview um, where he was talking about, he was, and again, this is just going to be very bits and pieces um, because I don't remember a hundred percent, but he was talking about how he went to a school where they wouldn't let him in to like mm -hmm. the, the higher program, the higher musical program, because he couldn't read music. And he went on to say that he thinks, you know, he almost thanks them for doing that because it forced him to like kind of go off on his own, learn things on his own. He didn't ever want to learn music. He was very okay with, I guess, not doing that. Um, and I always found, found that very interesting that, you know, maybe if he had gotten into that course, it would have kind of sucked the love of it out of him. I think it was the musical way. theory part of it that he didn't yeah. have much interest in. And he thought yeah. it would actually take the, the magic and the, the fun out of it for him. So. And speaking of his early music, um, what we are here to talk about during this first episode, besides our own love for Matt, is <laughs> yeah. his very first musical effort that we know of. Um, yeah. One that he has barely acknowledged existed, although he has slipped and discussed it at a few points. Um, his first album, Jackpot. He did discuss in an interview in 2020, just a couple of years ago, uh, that he recorded Jackpot starting in 1995 and that it was finally self-released in 2000. It was recorded at Barn Studio, which he uh, talked about in this interview of Sound on Sound magazine. Um, that was his parents' house. He said, yeah. I'm quoting here, my mom and dad bought a very cheap, rundown animal food barn and turned it into a house over time. And I had a room in this converted thing, and that was my studio. My setup then had progressed slightly. I worked at Tesco, British supermarket, so I had a few quid. When I say I had a few quid, enough to spend on gear, I only spent my money on booze and musical equipment. That's very on brand, <laughs> if you know anything about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, it, this is the Sound on Sound interview from December of 2020. This is the last time and there was a big gap I think between between when he yeah. first you know when he last discussed it I want to say it was like 2009 or 2010 yeah. to 2020 is when he actually I think at some point in between he was just trying to completely bury it like uh, it mm -hmm. doesn't exist so or is nobody asking him about it like I don't know like I don't know if anybody cares but the super fans or even knows about it yeah I don't maybe know he just um yeah maybe they just don't know about it so uh the last time well his hot take matt's hot take in a tweet from august 24th of 2009 <laughs> yeah. said jackpot just isn't good enough i think somebody asked him what about jackpot are you yeah. ever going to re release it he said quote jackpot just isn't good enough i may dust it down at some point but hearing it just makes my toes curl like a cramp during intercoursein he actually said <laughs> Intercoursing. Intercoursing. Intercourse apostrophe. U R S apostrophe N. Yes. yes. So, yeah. <laughs> Bless and, him. Just, yeah. yeah. Bless him. Wow. Bless him. So, Jackpot. It is listed on Discogs officially. Um, it says it was released yep. in 2000. We think that it was recorded between 1995 and finally released, released. Um, and by released, I think this was just probably maybe two dozen copies. I, I mean, we have no way of knowing, but I'm guessing yeah. that it just went to his friends and family because I have, I, I just feel like at this point, if he was handing this disc out to strangers or acquaintances, somebody would have it. Somebody would have released it by now. It had to have yeah. just gone to his friends, close friends and family who know that he doesn't want it out there. And then just have have kept it close to the vest. So um, the label on Discogs, I mean, there's a picture. There's everything. The label is yeah. Rillington Players, which we think does not exist as far as we looked. We've looked. We sure really looked. Not found any infor is, yeah. no information. Um, there's 10 tracks. The track list goes intro, um, then a bit of pink, alien invasion, ghosts, live, uh, trouser Department, which is one of the two songs that we are aware of. Jackpot, yeah. When Did You Last See Your Father, which is the second song 
that we know of uh, that that exists in the wild. Uh, yeah. Lonely Bird, Brighton Pier, and Dog Food Plus. It says it has a total runtime of 28 minutes, all titles by Matt Berry. And then the back of the album in the notes on this says this album was recorded at the Barnes private studio Bedford without interruption or love. I played everything. No samples or computer witchcraft were necessary there were, as there were enough pain and upset. I would also like to that my friends were ill, but wish me well in my pursuits. I myself am not well and I'm starting to realize it will all be over. It will all soon be over. Those who have opposed me can expect evil on a terrifying scale. So <laughs> just nonsense. Just crazy nonsense. Reads like something that a <laughs> slightly pretentious art school student would write. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that's yeah. confusing and maybe it could be a typo on Discogs. It could just be complete nonsense is it says, uh, copyright 2000 and there's a second copyright that says 1976 minky music i i don't know what that means and that's 1976 really is puzzling because he was born in 1974 and pretty much everything that he labels i mean 1974 he he notes it quite a bit in his in his yeah. references on tv and in you know other things so i don't know i don't know maybe it doesn't exist it's total but. nonsense the whole thing is just total yeah nonsense so he didn't think anybody was ever gonna like the fact that even the the title track and the cover is online i think he is shocked by that you know I, truly i think he's like i don't know how this got out there right and um somebody that's in the the music group on facebook actually reached out to one of the people that uh that said that they have it and they they said they have it they don't want to get rid of it but there's also a note yeah. on here that says, uh, per Matt's manager and Acid Jazz founder, who's Eddie Pillar, uh, Matt had officially, quote, embargoed this album and he won't even let me hear it, end quote. When I said I had heard of three copies claimed on Discogs, he said they were misinformed or having a laugh. Sorry, folks, it doesn't seem we'll ever get the, to hear this one. Breaks my heart. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. It really I does. really and, you know, the thing is, like, I totally understand that he is not proud of this. This is this was, at you know, the beginning of his career. He has come so far from even just Opium, which was I, just a much more polished album. Um, but at the same time, I just I want to hear it so bad. And like the super fans are the only people that care. Nobody is going to ever look at that and judge him by it, in my opinion. So I just really wish that he would just let it be out there because so i think we're gonna play let's maybe start with trouser department yeah, because let's, let's start with i want to yeah because i think for this one i've there, somebody has said a source close to him has said that this was a precursor to stuff box which love is a fool kind of came between those but you can so you have we have three different tracks we have trouser department where if, again, you're a super fan, which everybody listening to this is, you'll hear things in it that you'll hear from Love is a Fool and then comes to kind of the end in Snuffbox. All right. So trouser department. Let's go. Now it all comes clear how I've wasted my time. I've lived my life in shame For years I've been blind And now I open my eyes And what do I find? Good God Good God Good God I got what it takes In the trouser department I've got what it takes I don't need an enlargement there are some snakes out in my garden Oh, I've got what it takes I think it's such a jam. I really like it. I really like it, too. But, you know, musically, it's just, this is like such an earworm. I, I have this in my head quite often. 
don't need an enlargement. It's 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 very uh kind of quintessential matte to me. It's I think it has a good beat. I like it, and at the same time, it has that like comedic tone and um vulgar like the vulgarity of it. I've always I really just assumed that. this was autobiographical. Well, he did. He does say that you know all of his music has some sort of autobiographical note to it, or it comes from stuff from his own life. So you know, why shouldn't we believe that he has no issues in the trouser department? I'm just gonna assume to believe that. I no believe no enlargement. No need for an enlargement. I believe him. Uh, yeah, this song is definitely an earworm. Like I had it stuck in my head all day on Thursday, and I, I was annoyed by it. But I do think that, I think musically, I think it's actually really good. I, I very much like this one. Yeah. I like it um, musically. You know, the lyrics, jokey. They're not, his music isn't like that anymore. But you definitely see when he started, I don't think he was real clear on what path he was going to take with music. And it, it, it's definitely jokey, not what he would do today. So I, I can get from this track particularly why he wouldn't want to uh, It's almost revisit. pure Matt to me, though. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but to me it's kind of just like his pure kind of nonsensical self. He was just doing music and seeing what works and seeing what lyrics went with the tune and the beat. And I don't know. I just, I love it. I absolutely love this song. And I absolutely like can hear where he got, like how he progressed from this to Love is a Fool and then, you know, ultimately Snuffbox. And it, I just, I find it so cool to see this. And like, that's why I'm so obsessed with hearing the rest of Jackpot, not necessarily because I think it's going to be, you know, my next favorite album by him by any means. <laughs> I just want to hear, I'm like, oh, you know, that sounds like this song or whatever. And, and just to see how he progressed, mm -hmm. it would just make my life. For sure. And he does, he does do that. He repurposes music. You can tell a lot during Toast of London. He repost, mm -hmm. re repurposed some songs uh, from What We Do in the Shadows to Phantom yep. Birds. So it is something that he does. And this very early on, you can see his thought process. And you can tell, even though they're not directly the same thing, they've, they've morphed and they've transitioned into polished product, finished product. You can see how this is the idea. And then it, yeah. it progressed. So, um, so here's the other song. Well, let's, let's, uh, listen to when did we last, when did you last see your father? I, I cannot get the title of the song <laughs> we right. We never, I we keep, never, we always say something random that starts with when did, and then it's something about keep father. wanting to say how you met your father, which is very much <laughs> yeah. not right. When yeah. did you last? Although it's kind of the plot of the song. <laughs> It does yeah. describe what's happening there. It works. This song is a hot mess. Anyway, yeah. when did you last see your father? This is it. Roll it. I love the intro. I don't know. I find that really cool. It's kind of a funky thing going on. It very much is. Super funky. Another day was dawning Woken up with no warning Who is this boy? You say you're my son I'm afraid you're out of luck, pal Cause I'm moving into town now Where is my hat? And who is your mum? But there's too little of me Not enough to spread around I have a life of my own Selling magazines in town You can't see us, but Tara is jamming out right now Oh yeah, I love this. There's no sense in me lying. I really don't care. It's good. Like, come on, it's good. I'm going to. I know this is a controversial opinion between all of us, 
But I'm gonna just throw down the gauntlet that I think this is the better of the two songs. I think this is actually pretty good in a way that feels a little more fully realized than Trouser Department. Absolutely. I am not gonna disagree with you. I do disagree with you. I'm just gonna say it. I disagree with you. That's I, what we're here for. It Let's could just be my personal taste. I, I think this one's got a real 80s vibe to it. Yeah. And super unpopular opinion. I don't like 80s music. Never have. Oh. Never will. Don't like 80s music. I, I love like late mid to late 60s. I love 70s music, especially like early mid 70s. That's kind of my wheelhouse. Skip over the 80s. Go right to the 90s. Just I get it. Don't want I anything it to do with like, 80s. Some of it's total shit, but Matt does love the synths. They're very apparent in both of these songs. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. This song particularly is so confusing to me. Like, (laughs) this kid shows up, apparently, who is his son. He's like, who's your mom? Or, I'm sorry, who's your mom? And then (laughs) he's like, fuck off. I don't have room for you in my life because I got to go sell sell magazines. Like, what? What is happening here? Busy guy. <laughs> Doesn't have room for his son because he's got to go sell magazines. What? But is that like storytelling of Matt's that we love so much? Like the n- kind of, you know, nonsensical stories. And it's like, a weak story. Kind of whimsical, <laughs> you know? Okay, so this, I, I, I find this song is like better than the other one but i really like trouser department that like gets stuck in my head like this song doesn't get stuck in my head trouser department lives in my head rent free for sure it lives in my head rent free and i want to evict it this song i don't want to evict okay that's fair the other song's like a squatter in my head get out of here evict trouser department and the other one has never been stuck in my head because i don't think i've listened to it all the way through more than twice just because <laughs> oh, man not crazy? a fan not what oh my god trouser department i just th- i like the music i think the music is really good i think he could like really yeah, it's a jam i mean i guess because that one transitioned into other things but i don't think i don't think the other song has transitioned into anything he's really i never don't hear anything in it it's not his sound. No. That's not a sound that he's. Because if it was, I probably wouldn't listen to his music. So, um, <laughs> if we're being honest, dang, yeah, hey, go for it. You know, hey, you know what? We, we all have, have different opinions. That's the whole. Point I got of my this. opinions. Wait till we yeah. get to opium. Wait. Oh. <gasps> no, <laughs> you can't say anything bad about opium ever to me. <laughs> it is like the best thing ever. I understand. I I get it. But okay, so. My favorite song of these is Trouser Department, even though I know that When Did You Last Year Father is probably like musically and lyrically a bit, you know. I'm going to be the minority here. I'm going to own it. I I appreciate the earworm qualities of Trouser Department. I appreciate the Mm -hmm. cockiness. Uh, Yep. See what I did? Yeah. But (laughs) it's about his penis. That's totally what I brought to my head for a second. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but I just don't know that it's a very good song. Yeah, it's little known, it. a little known fact: Courtney is a big fan of of songs about selling magazines. I, I mean, <laughs> I can't think of a whole lot of others. It's a but... very small niche. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's top of that She's... fan group. <laughs> I enjoy. It's magazines. a really bad kink to have because there's so little. <laughs> in that field it really yeah. is that must be really a tough fandom you have to just yeah. cling to the song i can't think of any yeah. others so. <laughs> okay so you we got we got your take and i i can appreciate that we respect each other here wasn't there you know? another um didn't he say something about polishing this one up oh, <laughs> polishing the turd the term was turd polishing turd yeah polishing. but he made some analogy didn't he make an analogy to a pot? Oh my god, the pot analogy. Oh, and we have that quote here. Um, I'm trying to find the quote. <laughs> a Velvet Onion interview. The Velvet Onion was a now defunct site devoted to alternative British comedy. Um, Matt was a big supporter of theirs and did quite a few interviews with them. And in 2010, uh, he was actually asked, I'm going to read the quote here. Which Hazel was your third album, but your first, 1995's Jackpot, again, the dates up for debate, 
uh, has long yeah. been unavailable. Would it ever be something you'd consider reissuing? The few songs we've heard at the Velvet Onion are fantastic. Matt replied, I might reissue it one day. I'd have to tidy bits up and sack some other bits completely, though. For me, it's like a pot you made when you start first started making pots. Pleased that you did it, but not ecstatic about it being looked at too closely. <laughs> That's that is the analogy he chose. I love it. Like, you love it. But I like do. we kind of think that he could have done better. Like he's a wordsmith. He could have done better. He's an award-winning uh, comedy writer. Yeah, yeah. but and, I mean, who doesn't understand that? You make a pot. It's, you're like, yeah. hey, it's okay. You made a pot. But, you, you know, you're, you're excited. You're like, hey, look what I did. I made a pot. You show your friends and family, look, I made a pot. And then you don't want anybody to really look that closely at it because you see all their faults and, and, uh, and, and mistakes and how it's It's very unpolished. concise. No. I like, think we, we get it. We get it, but also... To the point. Yeah. Very yeah. concise. <laughs> yeah. I just don't see how it could have been better. Personally. I don't know. But we're not we're not like writers. We don't know how it could be better. We just in our mind we can be judgmental and be like, Matt, you could have done just a tiny bit better. <laughs> you know, like you know we all have days we're off our game. I guess. Oh I and know. I think he hates doing interviews a lot of the time, truly. I just I get the impression that, you know, he, he does I don't think I would like it either. If I became famous, I would a frickin' hate it. I would be like, Holy crap, first of all I've told you 10 times what my favorite album was. Can you come up with something better? You know, um, I don't think it's fun to, to answer stuff all the time and have to come up with stuff. So I think on the fly, that's a good, you know, thing to come up with. But at the same time, we read it and we, uh, we were a little bit, just a little bit judgmental. And we are not very judgmental on Matt. Everything that's he does lie. is gold. <laughs> <gasps> <laughs> the whole point of this is that we have to be like a little bit judgmental, you know? Yeah. I yeah. this is not the this is not the the part that I I don't know. I think it's fine. But uh <laughs> I I I agree with the interviews. I think that he does seem he basically when he does interviews, I think overall when when people talk about his music, when they actually know about his music, he seems really yeah. open and willing to talk about it. And I, he seems yeah. like he gets genuinely excited when people ask him questions that he hasn't been asked before. Like, I don't know yep. if it's just like, I'm not a journalist. I'm not, I'm, I've never interviewed anyone. Hopefully that'll change in the course of this podcast. But I, I don't know if that's just something they have to do every time. To, I guess they're just giving background information for people who maybe don't know who he is or maybe knew he was an actor but didn't know he was a musician. So they ask him these questions, which I just feel like it would be annoying to, to be asked the same exact uh, yeah. questions anymore. Like if annoyed. you're going to interview somebody, do a little bit of research on them and find out have these read other interviews for god's sakes and you'll know that these questions will be asked a billion times i just feel yeah. like your 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 words on this page in this interview can be more well spent if you do feel like people need a bit of a background which is totally valid just put it in a paragraph at the beginning yeah, put Don't... it in a paragraph yeah Come on. You know, i wonder how much how little we know about jackpot i should say how much of that is his reluctance to talk about it? And how much is the fact that interviewers just don't do their research and don't know that yeah. this album exists? Yeah, I That's don't know. what I think about a lot. I, I really wonder that a lot. Like, is it just that he, you know, because I mean, I'm sure a lot of the time, and again, I don't know shit about any of this, but I feel a lot of the time they probably show him what the questions are going to be. Um, and a lot of the time he might be like, no, I don't want to talk about Jackpot. Or is it just all kind of on the fly and nobody asks him about this because nobody knows about this? Yeah. Nobody I, cares about this but us. I don't know which way it is either. I don't know if, if he does get advanced um, advanced questions, if he has put an embargo on certain questions. But you can tell yeah. from that Sound on Sound interview, as late as December of 2020, yeah. he did talk about Jackpot. The person, the interviewer in that, that's a really, really great interview. Especially if you're... Yep technically involved with music because it does get very technical in certain places the man loves a guitar pedal let's just say that <laughs> yeah he loves a guitar I, pedal. I do zone out a bit like I try to like read everything but I'm like oh I don't understand what he means by that certain kind of synthesizer 
Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's oh. very, it's it, over that, my head. It's, yeah, it really does. I, I have no knowledge of that stuff. Um, but it, it is a really good interview and it's really refreshing to see, even though, you know, it does touch on the, some of the same stuff we see all the time. It just goes so much more in depth of who he is as a musician, where he started and, it's nice to see that. I just don't want to keep seeing these same questions over and over again because it feels like that takes up half the interview. And then you get... Well, he gets excited. He does get excited. You, 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 like, see, you know, if, like, if you see, like, I feel like a lot of his act, and this might just be me thinking this, but I feel like for a lot of his acting stuff where he's getting the same kind of questions and interviews all the time, he's very blasé. He's very just kind of like, you know, and he's not into it. And then I just love seeing or reading the interviews about his music because he's like he's just so alive and like you can really see that he is happy somebody has connected with his music and I just love that it's so genuine Mm -hmm. and I just it it gets me really happy yeah I I completely agree and even when he is talking about acting there's a difference between things that are close to him things that he's directly involved in like he's much more yeah apt and excited to talk about Toast of London than he is about like the IT crowd or what we do in the shadows because he doesn't yeah. have any writing input into yeah. either of those shows. You know, Snuffbox, I can't really get his take on Snuffbox. I don't know if he half wishes it would just disappear or what. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's all him. And I think it's brilliant. And he definitely, I, I, it's just definitely you can tell the difference when between when he's talking about music with somebody who appreciates his music and he can just see right through the bullshit meter of somebody who's done no research and doesn't know anything mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Probably never listened to anything. Yeah. So if you are going to interview him, which maybe one day we'll have the chance <laughs> yeah. to do. Um, I wouldn't hold notes. your breath, but you know, yeah, you know, come on, Matt, come on to our podcast. That'll be the end of our podcast care. because we will have reached our pinnacle. Yeah. And we won't be able yeah, to go any like further. We can't talk about anything else. <laughs> so do we have any closing Well, we can spend like comments? six episodes after that talking about our interview with Matt. Yeah, yeah we'll dissect. <laughs> minute Just by dissect. minute, we're like... Can you believe that happened, guys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just pinching ourselves. It would make our lives and, yeah. Again, nobody would ever probably listen to it. There'd be like... Well, if Matt came on our podcast, we'd have tens of twenties of, of listeners. Well, right. Yeah. Like yeah. right now we maybe have fives of listeners. So... You know, we'll yeah. see. We'll, we, I, I do hope we'll that... We'll see. I think we'll get better. I do. I do hope that we'll be able to do some interviews. You know, there are a lot of... Uh, yeah. Matt's bandmates are in the music yep. group. Uh, a couple of them follow us on Instagram. So... Wink, wink. wink nudge, nudge. Come wink. on our podcast. Exactly. Yeah. Um, if you would, <laughs> if you're a fan of Matt's music, if you'd like to come on and discuss with us, maybe on a future episode, you can always yeah. reach out to us. Um, we are at Obsessed Obscure on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So Instagram, come on, yep. follow us, follow comment. Let us know what you think. Yeah. yeah. Suggestions. Be nice, though. We've never done this before. We just love Matt so much and love his music so much. You know, let us know what you'd like to hear on it. You know, we're, you know, just, just we're fully open to talk it out with us. Yes. But also be kind because we are fragile as all hell. (laughs) We're so fragile. (laughs) Yeah. We're obsessed and so insecure. (laughs) (laughs) That's the next podcast. Our next podcast. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our very first episode. Yes. Our next episode. Our next episode, we will be discussing opium. Woo! Get ready for the debate gonna yeah. be contentious just because i know. love it and you're all wrong if you don't love every single part of it so and i'll hold my opinion all right guys this was so much fun thank you all thank you i must have been a hundred feet but had no fear of it all